Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Sojourn, another weekend gathering, uh, where we are in week three of our Vision and Values series, which we do typically every uh, January. It reminds us that we are a church committed to the gospel, our first value, in the context of family, our second value, living on mission, our third value. Uh, and so that's what we're looking at this week is our third value of mission. Now, based on the proclamation and practice of the church, I would say there's some confusion around the mission of the church. My guess is the people of our city wouldn't know what the mission of the church is if we were to go out and spend our time taking a poll this morning. I would say that some would probably say they didn't even know there was a mission to the church. They just assumed that we have a, a service where we sing songs and hear a message and to them it's more like a TED Talk and uh, we ask for money and do those kind of things. But they, I don't know if they would know there's actually a mission to this thing of the church. But it's really no surprise when you look at even just the churches in Portland, even near us, we can't all agree around the mission of the church. To prove my point, I looked up a few churches near us to check what their mission statements were. Here's what I found. We are called to be real, committed to the process, and convinced diversity enhances. Another church says we are to be multicultural, multiracial, open and affirming, and an accessible church. This last one might be my favorite. We walk a fine line to be accessible to everybody. With every detail, the aim is to create an interactive experience born of communion, making much more than your local watering hole. That's actually a bar that's called Church that's right down the street here uh, from us. But they also have their mission statement. I remember the first time I walked by, I was like, oh, it's called Church. And this is now realized it's actually a, a local bar. So I understand, though, when people say, if you can't all agree, meaning different denominations and tribes and church, like if you can't all agree, then why should I? Why, why should I give my time? Why should I give my talents? Why should I give my treasure? And so if you're asking these questions this morning, Jesus has answers. The church belongs to Jesus, which means he has the right to define it. And so when you think about this idea of churches, how is the church made up? How is the church defined? We always want to go back to the starting place of, of Jesus. We could come up with all different things to do as a church. We could come up with all different mission statements, but we want, at Sojourn, we want it to be a definition based on Jesus' definition. And I believe that Jesus is incredibly clear in communicating the mission of the church. It's right there before us. We just have to look for it. And sometimes we might have to know where to Look, and so sometimes you might hear someone who maybe they grew up in church or maybe they're exploring church and they, they kind of give those pushbacks. Well, there's so many different groups and there's so many different Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterian and not and on. Like, I can't be part of this. And I say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let's let Jesus define what the church is and let's let Jesus define what the mission of the church is. And so if you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's the first Gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 28. And we will be in verse 18 through 20 this morning. This passage we are looking at is known most commonly as the Great Commission. You're probably familiar with it, at least in name. Some of you might even have it memorized, and you could tell me at least the gist of what the Great Commission is. But as I was preparing this week, I thought, what's a commission? 
Like if, if, if Andrea as an artist, you know, she, she paints and someone commissions her to do something, then in that case, they've, they've paid her to do, go and do some work. But what, you know, what is a commission in our lives? So I looked up the definition of a commission. It's an instruction, a command, or a duty given to a person or a group of people. And so we see that Jesus gave us, his church, a commission. Jesus gave us a thing to go and to do. And so if you are a Christian, if, if you're tuning in this morning online, we're glad that you are, or if you're in the room, and you consider yourself a Christ follower, if you would raise your hand and say, yes, I follow Jesus, then the question isn't whether or not you've been commissioned. It's not that, you know, as you look at gifts, that God gifted some people some way, like God gifted Ben musically. You do not want me to get up here and try to lead worship. But that isn't one of these things. So it's not isn't whether you've been commissioned, it's what are you doing with the commission that you have been given. A seminary professor of mine said, Christianity at its core has little to do with buildings. Thank God, because we don't own a building. <laughs> has little to do with programs or events. He said, at its heart, we find the message of God, the unchanging supernatural gospel, which compels those changed by it to give their lives to the mission of God, the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And so I want to start this morning by asking, how are you living out your commission? This commission is Jesus' last words on earth. And when you think about one's final words, they typically carry some weight to them. They, they're usually of great importance. This is the last thing that they said before they passed away. And so Jesus, this is some of Jesus' last recorded words on earth. And that he considered them so important that he, Jesus, chooses to use his last word to convey the message of the mission of the church. Somebody tell me what it is? Make disciples. To make disciples. That's so important are these words, that these are some of the last words that he gives to his bride, the church. And so look at verse 18 of Matthew 28 with me. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus starts out by pointing to his deity because he is God, which means he has all authority. I mean, if you're God, if you're the God of the universe, just for the record, you have all authority. But Jesus went ahead and, and, and clarified that for us. And he's like, here's my starting point. This is why I can commission you to do this, because I have all authority, both in heaven and here on earth. It belongs to me. And so if you're the one with the authority, then you're the one who can commission people to go and do something. You know, at my household... Andrea and I have authority over our children, and so we can commission them to go and cut the grass. We can, we can commission them to go and feed the rabbits, right? And they don't always do that obediently, but we have the authority that so you have to go and do this. And then we also have the authority to take things away from them if they don't follow through with what we've commissioned them to go and to do. And then Jesus proceeds in verse 19 and 20. So he establishes, I've got all authority, and says, and because I have all authority, here's what he instructs them to do. He says, go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so Jesus here, he gives us both the what of the Great Commission and the how of the Great Commission. Now when you first read it, it appears there's four commands in these verses. So if you want to break down the Great Commission, you would say, go, make disciples, baptize, 
and teach. And that's the order that we see this, these, these commands come in. Now, Bible scholars tell us when you encounter the word therefore to ask the question, what is the what is the therefore therefore? Now, the answer is in the preceding verse that we already looked at in verse 18, where he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so now what Jesus does here is he pushes it a little bit further. If you say the life of Jesus, it's really, it's kind of fun to see that he always is pushing the envelope, so to speak, <laughs> of the day. But Jesus pushes this further, and he chooses his closest followers to be the first carriers. Now, I intentionally say the first carriers, because it doesn't stop with them, but he chooses his closest followers to be the first carriers of this message, the first ones that he commissions, and he does it based on his authority to make disciples, or some would like to use the language now, apprentices, of the way of Jesus. And although Jesus' call here is agreed to be paramount, what I mean by that, it's of utmost importance. I don't know any, any church that would say no, that this is not important. But there's some confusion around exactly what did he commissioned his followers to go and to do. And so the confusion is found typically in the two verbs, go and make. Now, let's start with go. Brace yourself for a little bit of grammar talk this morning. You're going to feel like maybe you're in grade school here. But verbs come in two common forms. We have the infinitive and we have the participle. I was going to ask you guys that because I probably would have gotten that answer wrong if I was sitting um, where you are this morning. And so for our example, it would either be go, infinitive, or going, a participle. Now, most Bible translations render the word as go. And so, in fact, your translation this morning, if I had to guess, probably says that. I typically preach from the ESV copy of Scripture, and ESV uses the word go. But in the original text, it is a participle. It should read going or as you are going. The other issue is the phrase make disciples. Now, this one's a little bit more theological, but if you're commanded to go and make disciples, the implication is that it is within your power to make it happen. So if I commission my children once again to go and cut the grass, there's an assumption there, an implication that they know how to cut grass and that they know how to use the lawnmower and put gas in it and not cut their hands off or their foots off, I guess, if they're down on the ground. And so there's an assumption there that it's within your power to go and do it. However, as we interpret Scripture with Scripture, by the way, if you're in a table, that's how we want to interpret Scripture. I know both tables that we have started have, are studying Scripture together, and so we always want to interpret Scripture with Scripture, not just our thoughts and what we think about it. We find the one who makes disciples is actually God himself. And you say, what's my role? Well, our role is to simply point people to Jesus and to show them how to follow and practice his way. And so the resolve here, we look at kind of the language and the grammar and the verbs, the phrase make disciples as an act of disciple. And so I can say, I disciple Ben, although God is the one who's actually making the disciples. I mean, think about this process. We use this big theological term, sanctification, where you look more and more like Jesus, like God's the one who's actually sanctifying you in that process. And so the commission here is disciple people in the imperative. Go disciple people. So you put these ideas together. We, we render the text with the original Greek, and it would read something like, therefore, this, is, this can be the... Um, Matt's, Matt's version. Therefore, as you are going, disciple people of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them obedience. And so in some ways, this takes the pressure off, but it doesn't give us a, an, an out as far as we're, we don't have a role to play in this, but being reminded that it's God who's working in people. It's God who is sanctifying people. 
but that we are given this role as we go through our normal, everyday, natural flow of life with those that we interact with, and we watch the Spirit lead us to opportunities to disciple. And so we all have been commissioned to do this, and we do it based on God's authority, and we do it as we go about our everyday life. And so this, this kind of removes the, the, where people will compartmentalize, like, I have my work life, I have my family life, I have my ministry life. And instead, it kind of puts it all together in this natural flow of life. It's like, yes, I do go to work. And yes, I do have a family. And I do live on a street. And I have neighbors. And it, it weaves the mission that we've been commissioned to do uh, of making disciples into everyday life. And so as we are in everyday life, we, we, we are intentional about how do I make disciples of my children that look more like Jesus? How do I make disciples of my neighbors so that they, they look more like Jesus? How do I make disciples of my co-workers so that they look more like Jesus? And so the original languages help us get some clarity around it's not actually four commands that Jesus is after. It's, it's one verb to describe what he's after, and, and then the, the other ideas reinforce that. And so the one imperative, the main idea is what? We said a few minutes ago, what is it? Make disciples. That's the main idea. Like if we had to boil it down and say, what is the Great Commission? Make disciples. Ones who follow, ones who believe, and ones who obey. That you're teaching them the way of Jesus. That you're teaching them obedience to the practices of Jesus. And so your job description, once again, if you would say, I am a Christ follower, I identify myself with Christ. Which, which on that note, I think one of the Maybe the hard aspects of the last couple of years, but maybe one of the beautiful aspects, and I, I hear this across the board, churches are smaller than probably ever. Gatherings are smaller. Now, in the U.S., we're going to kind of localize this. Great Commission is given to all. We're going to go reach all nations. But I think one of the beautiful things about that is I think less people are, are playing churchianity or Christianity. The part of it that was like a social club is no longer there. And so people realize, you know what, maybe I'm not actually in. And so I think it's helped purify the church to a degree. And so in your job description, if you are a Christ follower, if you identify yourself with Christ, it's about you leading people to Christ in your everyday life and making followers, apprentices of him and his way. And that's a privilege. I mean, God could have done this any way that he wanted to do. And so we should get excited about this and go, man, this is a privilege that God has given me a role in the way that he plans to reach all people. You know, you think about those family members that you love and care about who, who aren't following Jesus. He's given you a role in helping them find Jesus. Think about your coworkers who you desperately want to see come to know Christ. He's given you a role in how to come to know himself. You go, how do you know that? Well, because the Holy Spirit is there working. Well, how do I know that? Because the Holy Spirit is within you. And so if you live next to your neighbors, which obviously they're neighbors, you live next to them, or there's someone nearby, your family member, when you interact with those people, the Holy Spirit is there and working in their midst and giving us this role. David Allen Black, he said, don't think for a moment that it is more honorable to go to seminary or become a pastor than it is to serve God faithfully as a nurse or a salesperson. Missions is the intended vocation for the whole people of God, no matter what your occupation may be. And so this gets kind of rid of the excuse that, well, I'm a, I'm a teacher or I'm a, I'm a nurse or I'm a salesperson or I do these other things. It doesn't really matter where your paycheck comes from. Because you have been commissioned, if you are in Christ, to go and to make disciples. 
So how does this message apply to us as a church? As we would look at this, how does this apply? Now, we believe in decisions, right? We hope to see people identify themselves with Christ for the first time. We go from death to life. is what we celebrate in baptism. We believe in right teaching. We believe there is doctrinal truth that we should be following and guidelines in Scripture. But we will not emphasize either over making disciples, which is the thing. You can say, what is the mission of the church? This is the mission of the church. And we, in Sojourn, we say both locally and globally. So locally, it's because we all live here. It's not by a mistake that God has placed us here for such a time as this. And some of us might here be the rest of our lives for the next few years. But then we also want to have a global, because it says to all nations. So this is why we support organizations like the IMB. This is why we support families like the McCoys. This is why we gave some of our Christmas missions offering to pastors working in South Asia. This is why we want to get behind and support um, Ben and Julia eventually when they go. Because there's all nations that we're to go to and to make disciples. And so that is the thing that we are about as a church. There's other things that we do that aren't necessarily bad. But some of those things we could let go if we needed to. So we focus on the thing. And so everything we do at Sojourn, our gatherings, our groups, our tables, our partnerships, our outreach, is to communicate that our role, our mission, is about making disciples. I mean, it's the sole reason that we exist. And so sometimes we have to evaluate things we do as a church and go, why are we spending our time on this? Why are we spending our, our talent on this? Why are we spending our treasure on this? And is it going to help make disciples? And if it does, if the answer is yes, or we think so, because we get it wrong sometimes, then we'll probably proceed forward doing that. But there's other times we go, I don't think this is really making a difference. I really don't think that this is helping us to accomplish the goal of making disciples. And those times we kind of say, let's just let this thing go. But it's a good reminder for us that we exist as a church to point every man, woman, and child to the only thing that really matters in life. And what is that? Jesus. Close. <laughs> and then we, we invite them on a journey of following him, which is the part of making disciples. We also emphasize teaching through our preaching, our gospel community and tables. But we don't want just people to make a decision. We don't just do it so they'll say yes and sign a car and yes, I'm following Jesus. We teach the way we teach because it's about making disciples. So once again, everything that we, we do and we try to evaluate is towards that end. Let's think about this for your personal life. Do you know why mission matters for your life? Think about our city. Our city is, a, is full of cause-driven people in a city filled with causes. Like I've heard that Portland has more nonprofits than probably any city in the country. Oregon as a whole, our state has 22,000 nonprofits, probably more than that. And there are a lot of good causes. And you have your pick of what to get behind to support. It can be houselessness. God knows we have a lot of that and we need a lot of support there. It could be addiction. It could be mental illness. It could be animals. Like there's on and on and on different causes you can get behind. But have you ever thought to wonder, why does our city have so many nonprofits and so many causes? You ever thought about that? Here's why I think so. Why I think we do. Because Jesus says your heart craves a cause because you were created for a cause. I think deep down, I mean, obviously the DNA of, of the creators in all of us, right? Because God created all of us. I think deep down, there's this cause. And so once again, we try to scratch that cause through other avenues, through other nonprofits, through volunteering, through doing good things. You know, you hear the phrase, I just want to be a better person. Someone will say, someone will say I want to do this because I want to be a better Christian. But Jesus says your heart craves a cause because you were created for a cause. This is the reason that you wear Tom's tennis shoes, or you used to, 
I don't think they're as popular as they used to be. This is the reason you shop at the Community Cycling Center on Alberta, because it's a nonprofit cycling shop. This is the reason you eat at the Oregon Public House, because they're a nonprofit and they'll give a portion of your proceeds from your meal to the nonprofit of your choice. This is the reason that somebody volunteer in these 22,000 nonprofits. Now, I'm not suggesting those are bad things. In fact, I've owned Tom's before. I've purchased from the Community Cycling Center. I eat at the Oregon Public House. I volunteer on a regular basis at nonprofits. In fact, I work for a nonprofit. It's kind of a joke, but not really, because the church is technically a nonprofit. But what I am saying is that nonprofits are not ultimately the reason you were created and you were called to give your life to. I see some churches out there, and that, that's kind of like that is their mission. Once again, those things aren't bad. And we partner with a lot of nonprofits. We work with every child who's helping the, the foster care system and the need for adoption in our city. We work with the Portland Rescue Mission with men recovering from substance abuse and, and, and houselessness in our city. We work with a number of nonprofits, but that's not why we were ultimately created. And the only reason we work with those nonprofits, and you guys hold me accountable to this, is so that we are making disciples. We think that that's going to help give us uh, um, an opportunity to build bridges with the people that work at the DHS department who aren't Christ followers, an opportunity to, to work with these men who some are living on the streets and were addicted to drugs and alcohol who are now recovering and learning to follow the ways of Jesus. But you were ultimately created to make followers of Jesus as you go about your everyday life and see them grow in his way. And here's the, here's the really, really cool thing. That God has invited us into a partnership with him where he is reconciling and uniting all things back to himself and so that takes some of the pressure off that I don't have to do all the work, but I get a process in that work. And he's given you and I a part in the call of redemption and reconciliation. And so the way of Jesus is more than just a truth to believe. We can all easily believe it. We can study and go, I believe this. I, I even agree with this. But it's the great cause that you are meant to live out until he returns or calls you home. So it has to go beyond our head knowledge. You know, I sat in seminary. I remember I gained a lot of knowledge, but it was like, now go practice this. Become a practitioner. And so I think most people who've been in church for any length of time, if you say, do you know what the Great Commission is? I say, yeah, no, yeah, go make disciples. But how are you living out that commission? That is a question we have to bring it back to. And I think as a kid, for a long time, I thought, man, that's that people that we see, they, they have their slides up and it's because they're out in a village in Africa somewhere. Or they're out in India somewhere. And it was only as I matured in my faith that I realized, no, this was given to all of us. And so for me as a college student at that time, I was like, how do I live this out? Like sitting in college classrooms, struggling through geology and flipping burgers at a restaurant and living with roommates and going to the beach on the week. Like, how do I, how do I live this out? But this is the only thing that ultimately matters in your life. This is the purpose of your life and anything else fails in comparison. I think that's why we go from thing to thing. Like we, we look for things to scratch that itch, to kind of fulfill our purpose in our life. I actually read this morning a, a devotional by Paul Tripp. It's called New Morning Mercies. If you've never used that devotional, it's great. Great, great, great gospel-centered uh, devotional. And he, he gave this story where he said he had a neighbor who would come home with a new car, like, frequently. Like, at least every year, he would come home with a new car. I, mean, his, I don't know where he lives, but his neighbor must have some money. And he would keep the other ones up, right? And he said he got to one day, he came up with a sixth car, and he looked over at him, and he said, what do you think? And, and Paul looked at him and said, I don't think it's working. <laughs> and the guy said, well, what, do you, what do you mean? It's a brand new car. Of course it works. And he goes, no, I don't think whatever you're trying to fulfill is working. And the guy said, you're, you're raining on my parade. But his point was that only God is going to ultimately fulfill this desire that you have in your life. And then once you're in Christ, we still see that sometimes. 
We'll try to find something else to get behind a different, a different cause, or maybe it's still the cars. It's like, no, you were created for a purpose. And I've commissioned you with my authority for this purpose. And until you're living that out, your life's going to feel like it's not fulfilled. Not because it's not good, because it's not best. This is what you and I were created to do. To go and do by making disciples. And we have this tremendous opportunity as a family, going back to last week, as a church, to be on mission together to the city of Portland. We have a chance to see this lived out with friends. I'm hoping God, I'm hoping the Holy Spirit would bring some of those people to your mind right now. We have an opportunity to see that lived out with family, with coworkers, with neighbors. We have a chance, an opportunity to see strangers become family members as their lives are turned upside down. I don't know about you, but my heart is burdened for our city. My heart is burdened for the people that drive by, as I can see from the window, and, and walk by our space on Sunday mornings, who most, if I had to guess, are separated from God. And they would spend eternity apart from Him if they were to die today. I'm burdened for the friends that, that we have in this city who most of them don't know Jesus. I'm burdened for our neighbors, for my son's classmates who don't know Him. But we've been given this tremendous opportunity, this Almost this gift. I mean, is it hard to live here? Yeah, I, honestly, it is hard to live here. It's hard to live in a city for multiple reasons. But for such a time as this, God has given us a role to play to where we go and to make disciples. And he's, and he's given us each other to do that together. We're not alone in that work. And so to summarize, you were saved into a church for a mission. The what? And we collectively exist to what? Make himself known. Make him so, but Make disciples. That's why we collectively exist. Now, Jesus also provides us with the how in the second part of verse 20. He says, and behold, I am with you always. Isn't that reassuring, just that alone? <laughs> like, Jesus is with us always. But he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he's giving us the how to two types of people. Okay? And, and there's, these two types of people might be in the room this morning, or you might be tuning in. The first type is the scared. Think about this. Jesus went to the eleven because Judas, yeah, Judas already betrayed him at this point, and Judas was out of you know Judas was out of the picture at this point. He went to the eleven and he said, "I want you to go and make disciples of all nations." Now I don't know about you, but if I'm one of those eleven, I'm like, "Oh Jesus, this is above our pay grade." Okay, we're still walking everywhere, and you want us to go reach all nations? Like I don't think this is quite possible. I'm sure this brought out a lot of insecurities. It brought out their fears. It brought out their doubts. And I imagine them just being kind of anxious. But this command, this commission, is meant to, to be something that they can't do on their own. I think that's part of the point. Which is why Jesus starts in verse 18 with all authority. In other words, his power. And then he finishes here in the second part of verse 20 with, I am with you always, his presence. And so if the call of the Great Commission to you is ever overwhelming, good. It's meant to be overwhelming because we have absolutely zero chance of fulfilling the Great Commission without the presence and the power of the Holy Ghost. And so that's our prayer, that your power and your presence would go before us, go into these streets, go into the neighborhood, go into our metro, go into the lives of our family before we visit with them. Because it's by your power and your presence that we will see people reach and disciples made. The second group that he's addressing the how-to is those who doubt. What is now called deconstruction. Deconstruction. I was thinking about this that this week. I thought, what do we used to call deconstruction? Because we hear about it all the time now. Everyone's talking about it, and some are criticizing, and some aren't as critical, and 
you know, and I, I started thinking through, like, in my years of following the Lord, I said, I think we used to call this those who doubt. I have some doubts. And so in that sense, sure, I have deconstructed my faith over the years. I just call it those who doubt. Um, and you may fall into this camp. Maybe you struggle to believe this command. You, you struggle to believe this call in your life. Well, from the foundation of our faith, there were others, people who struggled to obey. Right? There's Doubting Thomas, right? probably the most famous one from Scripture. They struggled to believe and obey Jesus just like you. Now, we don't know why you doubt. I don't know why you doubt. But if you doubt, I'm glad that you're here. We exist to see lives changed. And so if you doubt, look at it as good news that we want to share this with you. Because I think about it this way. As soon as I discover a new restaurant or a coffee shop, I text at least five friends to share it with them. Like, oh, you got to try out this new place. It's really, it's like the best coffee in the city. Or you guys know that I love gravy and I'm evangelist for gravy for that restaurant. Like, I will tell people about it everywhere I go. Like, you've got to go try out their French toast. It is amazing. You've got to try out their Monte Cristo. It is amazing. And so um, it's the same way, or should be with Christ. Like once we discover, like, man, there is hope for us and hope for you. It's in Jesus. So we go back to our first value gospel, like, I want to share this message with you because it's changed my life and I know that it can change your life too. We have believed that we have encountered something in God that is life-changing, and we want to share it with you. We want to share it with the world. He created you, he loves you. We fled, we rebelled, but God made a way to be restored. And then finally, we'll finish up. What are some excuses that we, why we don't live on mission? We all have them, myself included, okay? I'm not, not preaching at you. I'm kind of preaching to all of us, myself included here. So what are some reasons? What are some excuses that we don't live on mission? My friend Matt Carter in Texas helped point these out to me. He, he preached on this message uh, here recently. First, he said, people aren't willing to make sacrifices necessary to live on mission. We're not willing to sacrifice our time because time is precious. It's our most, really our most precious commodity. We're not willing to sacrifice our talent. We're not willing to sacrifice our treasure. We're not willing to sacrifice our preferences. Let me tell you a real quick story. We won't read there, but you can go back and read it later. In Acts 16, the Apostle Paul wants Timothy to accompany him to advance the, the church on mission. But there's a little known hindrance, okay? Men specifically, listen up to this hindrance. He wasn't circumcised. So as a result, Timothy was circumcised as an adult man, for the sake of the gospel and the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Ouch! Right? Like this morning, if we're like, hey, in order to reach Portland, men, it's going to take us getting circumcised. Like how many of you are going to sign up for it? So I look around. When I was reminded of that story this week, I look around, and here's what I think. How did we get, okay, track with me here. How did we get from Timothy to I'm willing to let my man part be cut open for the sake of the gospel, that's a sacrifice, okay? To today, I'm not willing to give up my time, my talent, my treasure, or my preferences for the sake of the mission. How did we get from there to here? And so the first hindrance, people aren't willing to make the necessary sacrifices. Second, people don't think they're qualified due to their past, due to their sins, due to their failures. My, my guess is this is where many of us probably fall into. We feel inadequate. If that's you, let me tell you about some people who can relate. We'll start in the Old Testament. Abraham, he was old, real old. Jacob, he was a cheater. God still used him. Noah, he got drunk. Moses, he murdered a guy and had a stuttering problem. God used him powerfully. David was an adulterer. Rahab was a prostitute, but God used her powerfully. 
Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. God used her. Jacob went bankrupt. John the Baptist, he ate bugs. And at the end of his life, he questioned if Jesus was actually the Messiah. And Jesus continued to pursue him and loved him. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times. And revival broke out to her after she met Jesus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And he was hated by his community. Peter denied Christ three times. Thomas was a doubter. And this might be my favorite one of all. Lazarus. Do you remember Lazarus' problem? He was dead, right? They have all the inadequacies, all the failures, all the sin, all the excuses. Because my guess is you've only done a fraction or maybe a couple of those things that I listed. And so are you getting the picture? They all were unqualified. They were what we call normal, everyday people with flaws, with inadequacies, with failures, and with sins. And God used every single one of them because he had commissioned them based on his authority, not based on their authority. And so if you are a believer this morning, what qualifies you for ministry is not how good of a person you are. You can never be good enough. You can never volunteer enough. You can never give enough money, although our offering box is in the back. What qualifies you for ministry is not how gifted you are. What qualifies you to be on mission for Jesus is the blood of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is what qualifies you for ministry. Your sins have been forgiven. Your past has been erased. And he has poured his Holy Spirit out and he's inside of you. And so if you are a Christian, based on his authority, you are called, you're qualified, and you are commissioned to go and to make disciples. And so in 2022, if we at Sojourn, if everyone's, every Sojourner realize that you're qualified, that you're called, and you're commissioned to say, here I am, Lord, send me, then I believe that we will see transformation in our midst. I believe that we will see movement in our midst because we all have people in our lives who need to know this truth. We all have people in our lives who need to be discipled. And so Sojourn Church, we are a group of people committed to the gospel in the context of family that lives on mission for Jesus to the city of Portland and our world. And by God's grace, we will do that forever until kingdom come. And so pray with me this morning. And Ben's going to come back out and lead us in worship through song as we're reminded of our commission to go and to make disciples. God, we thank you again. First off, for you. God, we thank you for your salvation that is a gift. God, for your gospel message. God, we thank you that you've given us a family to not do life alone with. And God, thank you for the fresh reminder that you have commissioned us based on your power and your authority to go and to make disciples here in Portland in our nation, God, in our world. God, think about all the unreached people groups that we even mentioned this morning who literally have never heard the name of Jesus, who have never heard this gospel message. God, I pray that you would use Sojourn. God, that you would use our time, our talent, our treasure to help see the unreached become reached. God, you would do that in our generation. God, and that this year, 2022, that we all would embrace this role as an everyday missionary who lives with gospel intentionality as we point people to you and help them practice your way. It's by your name, your power, we pray. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.